I say Johanna Spiri. I say Johanna Spiri. And we agree to disagree. the 10th episode of the two retired homeschoolers i can't believe this is the 10th episode um yeah so let's start with first impressions you said this is the 10th episode okay so for the 10th time in a row i've read this book at least 10 times um when i was a little kid like very very little like before i could read my mom read it to me and i really liked it so i made her read it to me a lot of times And then as soon as I learned to read, I also read it a lot of times. Um, And I haven't read it, you know, since then, really, I don't think. So it was kind of weird. Like, it was very nostalgic to read it again. And I remembered some things very clearly. But also I, like, forgot half the plot twists. And so it was just a very fun reading experience. Also, like... I hadn't read it since I was a very, very young child, and so I didn't really know if it would be as good as I remembered it. Um, we're doing this book because Dad requested it. Uh, you mean one of our many fans. <laughs> one of our many fans requested it, and so we're doing it, and I was, like, excited to read it again, but at the same time nervous, because I, I didn't want it to not be as good as I remembered. But fortunately, it was every bit as good as I remembered. It is quite simple, and also it has, like, the exact right amount of, like, humor in it Mm -hmm. to make it not, like, it, I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. I I don't know how I'm going to talk about it (laughs) at all, because I just like it, and that's all there is to it. It's just a good book. Yeah. No, it's an incredible book. Uh, My first impressions are, I first read this book... Uh, I think two or three years ago, I was I was in high school, um, and that was the first time I personally read it. I can't remember if someone read it to me when I was younger. That may have been the case as well. The first time I read it, I remember being very sad, like the chapter about her being homesick and all that, like very much affected me. And so I thought it was a sweet, good book and like very sentimental and good, but also very sad. And and I, I just kind of wanted to get through it. Um, the second time reading it, I agreed with myself that it was still simple and realistic and very wholesome. It was just so well done. Like, I can't put into words, like, how good of a book this is. Yeah. Those are our first impressions. Incoherent love. It was published in 1881. It was originally published in two parts. The first one was titled Heidi, Her Years of Wandering and Learning. And the second part was titled Heidi, How She Used What She Learned. Um, It was one of the best-selling books ever written and Switzerland's best-known work. So about Johanna Spyri, very, very little is known about her. In fact, it's quite astonishing. If you get on her Wikipedia page, it's practically nothing. 
Um, and the reason for that is, well, there's this quote that we have from her after um, some people requested she read an autobiography. She said, the external path of my life is quite simple and there's nothing special to be mentioned. My inner life was full of storms, but who can describe it? So, and she was born in 1827 in Herzl, Switzerland, I don't know how to pronounce it, and she died in 1901. Um, she wrote Heidi in four weeks, and she's written other works, by the way. She was actually a short story writer, primarily, I believe, but Heidi is just so well known that there's this misconception that it's the first book that she ever wrote. She spoke German. Her husband was a lawyer and died in 1884, the same year that her son died. I guess they think that her husband died because he was just so sad about his son dying. And then she dedicated the rest of her life to charity and writing. There were like four sequels written on Heidi from someone else. It wasn't endorsed by Spyria at all. And there's several video games that were inspired by the book. There's also 25 different <laughs> TV and movie productions on it. And the 2016 movie remake of it has 100% on Rotten Tomatoes. Oh yeah, I've seen the Shirley Temple one. It's like entertaining but it changes stuff from the book and not in a good way like the book is better um all uncle comes down from the mountain and is looking for heidi and he gets locked up in jail and heidi is running around and there's all sorts of things happening that don't happen in the book that's so bizarre so since we know very little about spyree i took it upon myself to do some extensive research on switzerland's history because who knows anything about switzerland's history not me that's for sure and i thought it just might be interesting so we're i'm gonna give a quick rundown on it in 1291 the federal charter came about which was essentially switzerland's birth in 1600 switzerland was a loose confederacy of 13 cities while small valley communities made up the rest of it. So it wasn't super established. Then in 1648, the Peace Treaty of Westphalia, I hope I'm pronouncing that right, happened, in which uh, Switzerland was formally accepted as an independent nation by the rest of Europe. And then, you know, from that time period on to like the 1798, there were various wars and a lot of unsuccessful revolts by like the lower class against government affairs and all that. But in 1798, the Swiss Revolution happened, which was 10 years after the French Revolution. And it's said that the French Revolution inspired it because they saw that revolts could be successful. During the revolution, the farmers in occupied territories became free citizens. In 1848 came the federal constitution. So that basically combined principles of the US constitution and of the French revolutionary tradition into one. And that is the current existing form of government that they have in effect. So then we have Heidi um, in 1880 to 1881. Then industrialization happens during that time as well from 1750 to 1900 in which Switzerland was one of the first industrialized countries in Europe. And actually, it's still today one of the very most innovative countries in the world. And then in World War I, uh, I mean, this is common knowledge that Switzerland was like an armed neutral country. Um, but there was actually a lot of inward tensions in Switzerland between French and German-leaning citizens, which I thought is interesting. Mm. And then between 1933 and 39, Hitler's influence in Germany was seen as a threat in Switzerland, specifically to their independence. And the country became a refuge for like many 
different German refugees, whether they were Jews or intellects, etc. And then, of course, they were a um, armed neutral country from 1939 to 1945 during World War II. So just some random facts. The Red Cross was invented in Switzerland in 1863. Some other things that were invented in Switzerland were Velcro, the Swiss Arby knife, white chocolate, life-saving drones, and oat milk. <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which are all just like so like wholesome things, you know? <laughs> right. Yes. Like, even their knife, like, their weapon is just a small little handy useful tool. <laughs> yeah, it's a MacGyver knife. The yes. most wholesome knife. Exactly. <laughs> um, Switzerland has 7,000 lakes. It is also the European country with the most mountain peaks. It is also the country with the lowest crime rate. There are approximately 45 homicides a year, which is basically unheard of. And it has one of the highest rates of gun ownership as well which is, <laughs> maybe we should take that into account. <laughs> Rebecca, your cat is like meowing so much. <laughs> yeah, she wants in. <laughs> Do you think like... She wants you, Holly. She hears you. She's longing oh, for see, you. I love you. <laughs> Do you think that maybe you should take care of that or will that be a problem? No, no, no. She's supposed to stay outside at night. Okay, but like for she the just ain't audio happy purposes. about it. Well, what do you expect me to do if I if I put her anywhere else? She'll just come back around and start <laughs> meowing at my door again. Okay, I guess you will enjoy the background sound of a cat meowing, guys. Okay, so other interesting things. So Denmark, Finland, and Switzerland are the happiest countries in the world. I don't know how they uh, decided that, but Switzerland ranks third on that scale. There, so no work on Sundays is a social expectation in Switzerland. So like it's actually looked down upon if you do work on Sunday. Um, and yeah, that's all I have. I love the sound of Switzerland. Mm -hmm. Okay, it's your turn to give a rundown on the plot, just a short summary. Okay, so in the book Heidi, there's a girl named Heidi who's left with her grandfather way up on a mountain by her sister or sister-in-law Didi, who doesn't want to take care of her anymore. And she has a very, very happy life until one day Didi comes back and steals her and <laughs> gives her to some nice, rich German people. Heidi is very, very homesick. Um, and so eventually she comes home and everyone's life gets better because of Heidi. Yeah. But it's not sappy. I made it sound kind of sappy, <laughs> but it's not. <laughs> it's sentimental but not sappy yeah i think you and i use the word sentimental differently but probably your definition of sentimental it's sentimental yeah mckenzie uh, um describes it as sicken sickeningly sickeningly how do you say sickeningly wait 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 i'm gonna spell it out sickeningly sickeningly <laughs> you know the word i'm trying to say Sickeningly? Yes! Sickeningly! <laughs> Why can't I say it? Wait, 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 wait. Sickening... Sickeningly. Yeah, I said that right, right? <laughs> yes. Okay. That sweet. <laughs> I see. She describes Heidi like that? Well, she hasn't read it, but that's, that's her impression right. on it without reading it. 
Oh, okay. You should never judge a book before reading it. Uh, Agreed. Okay, so as far as the plot. So it's, like, a really simple plot, which is, like, wow, I don't know what to say, Rebecca. (laughs) Yeah, because it's really just a story about a kid who, like, has a happy life, and then she's taken away from her happy life by circumstances beyond her control, and she makes friends with people. I don't know, I've never been homesick the way Heidi was, but for some reason, that always has resonated with me. Like, her deep homesickness, and then when she comes back to the mountain, her, like, joy at homecoming. Yeah. And it's so profound for such a simple story. And Spiree describes the Swiss mountains and the cabin and all that so vividly that even if you haven't experienced homesickness, like you were saying, it's like you don't even have to to know what Heidi's going through. Like that's how sucked in and how well written it is. Yeah, like you're homesick yourself for like the wind in the firs that she always has to run out and go listen to and the way the setting sun sets the mountains on fire and the fields full of flowers up in the high pastures where the goats go, and the bird that croaks and settles in the highest peak. Yeah. Like, it's so vivid. I know, it's so incredible. And I was observing her writing abilities, and yes, she is a very good writer, but she's not like, she's not like, an incredible writer where she uses like really cool words and makes the sentences flow in just the right way to where it's like, wow, you have this style that is just so unique. It's not like that. It's just simple, very good writing. Which is sometimes the best kind. Mm -hmm. A lot of my favorite writers, actually, I love their prose and I love it because it's deceptively simple. Yeah. It's like, it's like powerful and you have no idea how. Maybe it's because of Heidi that my dream is to live on a mountain by myself and have (laughs) sheep. To be a hermit. Anyway. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But with a village at the bottom of the mountain, you know? Right, right. The book does talk about the importance of having people in your life. (laughs) Yeah. We should talk about the people in the book. (laughs) Yes! (laughs) Okay, let's start with Dee Dee. Um, and the reason I'm starting with her is because she's in the first chapter. When I mm, first... Logical. <laughs> when I first read this book, Dee Dee was like a villain in my mind. Just kind of like a character I did not sympathize with. And why are you the way you are kind of a thing. Um, but rereading it and looking over Dee Dee's life situation, like I can understand why she would give... Um, Heidi to her grandfather even if he had a bad reputation with the rest of is it Dorfly is that how you say it because she had looked over her for quite some time and then she had a good job that she needed to go to so I think her decision wasn't wrong and I admire her strength to go against public opinion and also to just like tell uncle out that this is his responsibility and he has to live up to it like I admire her strength but so basically I agree with the decision she made but I don't agree with how she went about it because she literally just took Heidi up and dropped her off and she was like well 
you're now having someone living with you, Uncle Alf, and you got to deal with it, and there's nothing you can do about it, and I'm not even going to help at all with this transition. I'm leaving right now. And she also started up the mountain being late um, to, like, go back to her job. So it's like, wow, she really did not plan it all ahead at all, which is something that continues on because when she goes to take Heidi away, no warning, like no easing into it whatsoever. She just appears one day and takes Heidi away and doesn't, I noticed she didn't even let Heidi say goodbye to her grandfather. So yeah, Dee Dee had some problems. Yeah. My opinion of Dee Dee is what uncle says about her at the end of the book. Um, he says, I have nothing to leave the child when I die, and she has no relations except one person who will always like to make what profit out of her she can. Mm-hmm. And, like, I'm not saying Dee Dee is the worst person in the world, but she's selfish. Yeah, I agree with that. Actually, this is a good place to talk about uh, Rottenmeier, who is... <laughs> she oversees the... How do you say the last name of the family? Sesamon? Sesame, yeah. She oversees the Sesame house. She's household. like their housekeeper? Yeah. Um, because Mr. Sesame is gone on business a lot of the time, so she takes care of Claire and all that, who is the daughter of Mr. Sesame. Um, and I kind of had the same revelation with Rottenmeier as well. Like, I just kind of saw her as a villain and nothing else. And actually, there was some criticism of Heidi in which a lot of people thought that it was kind of a black and white book with black and white characters. Like, there wasn't a lot of depth or complications to the characters as there is in normal life. But I disagree with that because Rottenmeier, you can see that, like, when the ghost comes, there's the chapter on the ghost, like, she can get afraid even though she's portrayed as the super strong-willed, like, no one's gonna boss her around lady. And then <laughs> she has, like, a heart but she's just so in her own head and she's so absorbed by the proper way to do things that like it doesn't really come through at all in fact she is like she is kind of a cruel person but she's not like cruel in the worst sense possible absolutely as a little kid i definitely thought of her as like the worst and kind of like evil kind of Mm -hmm. um but rereading it she is actually she's just one of those people who does not understand like they have good intentions but they think that their way is the right way and they can't like they have a narrow mind and they can't really like look at it from someone else's perspective or understand someone else's perspective and so like she just always thinks that what she thinks is right has to be right and so she like does things not because she's trying to make Heidi miserable but because she just does not understand what she's doing yeah and yeah and she's also a figure of comic relief a lot of the time like when she's like terrified of the kittens and when she's like oh Herr sesame did you secretly wanting to hear his horrible ghost stories and then she's all disappointed yeah yeah she's she's a fun character do you want to talk about uncle alp you mean arm uncle <laughs> Apparently we had different translations because it was translated from German. So in my book, it's Uncle Alp. In my book, it's Alm Uncle, not Arm Uncle, as Holly mistakenly thought the first time I said it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, 
Allmunkle? Well, I just insisted that we put him on the list of characters to talk about because he's my favorite character. Um, he is grouchy and taciturn, and he lives on the mountain all by himself and wants nothing to do with his fellow man because, as he justly perceives, his fellow man wants nothing to do with him, and he makes stuff, and he takes care of Heidi very quietly, gently, and competently. And I love his relationship with Peter. Peter's the goat herd who's a few years older than Heidi, and Peter is a... he's something else, and <laughs> he's just a very interesting little boy. And, you know, he, he tends to not always do what he should do, but he lives in fear of uncle because, well, he should live in fear of uncle because uncle will call him to task if necessary. Um, and he calls him general. Where's just, your herd general? I just like him. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. He has a very specifically male tenderness. Person, but you wouldn't know it unless you knew him. Yeah, he's not an outwardly loving character, but he's... No, I just, I just really like him. Like, I visualize him very distinctly, and I just think he's great. Yeah, I actually think he's a great example of a complex character because, um, so to give some context, he had a past of, like, drinking and squandering his money, which was very much looked down upon in, you know, the small religious town. And so he went off and joined the army. Or was that his brother? I don't remember. Yeah. In any case, he disappeared off the top, the um, scene for a while and came back and everyone very much disapproved of him. And he reacts with anger, which is interesting. I kind of think that there's some similarities between Job and Uncle Al because, well, in Job's case, he was accused of stuff that he really was innocent of. Um, and then he stuck to his guns and was like, hey, I'm not going to like repent for stuff I didn't do. I don't believe that God brought all the suffering on me because of my sins, um, which is very admirable because like it's so easy to cave to what others are saying, especially since his friends were like wise and like they said actual good stuff, even if they were completely wrong. <laughs> but yeah, like he knew what the truth was and he stuck to what he knew to be true. And Uncle Alp, yes, he did bad things, but he was justified in his anger because people shouldn't just discredit you as a person and constantly judge you and, like, not welcome you into their community because you've had a past. Because literally everyone's had no. a past. Yeah, no one bothered to find out what he'd actually done. Like, he was judged on hearsay and the fact that other people disapproved. Like, no one actually knew anything about him as is proved later in the book when the Miller's talking about him and everyone's like, wait, 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 what? Okay, I actually didn't. Like, I don't know. Just, yeah. yeah. He, he might have done bad things, but they didn't even bother to find out what those things were. Yeah, and instead of defending Which, himself and wanting to justify himself in their eyes, he just didn't care and got angry because they were acting so foolishly. Yeah, and I, um, I just, I like, I like him. You sympathize I with like that? that him. <laughs> yeah. So I, I like the I fact mean, once, that... I mean, once once someone has proved that their opinion doesn't matter, why do I care about their opinion anymore? Mm. But also, why can't I still be angry at the injustice of it? Yeah. Yeah. 
I do think, though, that Uncle Alp was at fault in that he did go a little overboard with, like, yes, his perception of how people viewed him was correct to a degree, but it's almost like he took on this view that everyone was out to get him. And even when the pastor was, like, treating him with kindness, and yes, the pastor may have, like, also had some wrong judgments about him. Like, the pastor was still a genuine person and was still, like, being kind. And Uncle Alp wouldn't even listen to his reasoning or anything he was saying, even though a lot of what he was saying was actually right about taking Heidi to school and whatnot because he was just discrediting everybody. Disagree. I think he listened to the pastor um, and and I don't think he discredited the pastor as the person. I think he appreciated the pastor as a person to the extent that he was prepared to appreciate anyone. And I think he just <laughs> decided that, like, it wasn't worth it. And he also thought, like, the child is happy where she is. Why would he take her from somewhere where she's happy down to a village of shallow, petty people who don't even care about the truth of someone's character? Like, from his point of view, I think the way he responded to the pastor was justified, or at least not wrong. And I also don't think he was, I don't know, I don't think he was at fault. Hmm. I think that Uncle Alp himself was showing a little bit of shallowness by just slapping the label on the whole community and being like, well, everyone's shallow and not fit to be in my company because of, you know, what they said and did to me. Because, I mean, I disagree with what the community, how the community treated Uncle Alp. But at the same time, if there's this wily wilderness man who looks crazy and is a hermit who lives on a mountain all by himself, like, yeah, people are going to talk about him, especially newcomers who don't know anything about the situation. And then because people are interested by unusual things, they're going to come up with theories. And unfortunately, that turns into gossip and hearsay and wrong conclusions and and whatnot um but as we discover at the end of the book like once he comes back to church and gets back involved in his community people were willing to re-accept him and were willing to have their opinions overturned with proper evidence and so it's not like they were going to think whatever they wanted to think no matter what sure but like he can live up on the all by himself if he wants to yeah Okay, I think we've talked enough about Al- Uncle Al. <laughs> we still have Grandmama, Peter, Heidi, and the Doctor. Uh, why don't you start with the Doctor? Oh, the Doctor's my other favorite character, so that's why I insisted on putting him on the list of characters to talk about. Um, why is he your favorite? I don't know. I like him because he's, so, I don't know, he's really nice to Heidi. He He's kind of kind of a quiet person who observes and notices things and appreciates things and I just like him I don't have a good answer for this I just think he's cool yeah and I feel really bad for him when his daughter dies oh me too yeah I love how level-headed the doctor is and how when he comes to Heidi he's open to other reasons for sickness other than physical ones like he asks Heidi about stuff and realizes oh she's depressed 
And then instead of being like, oh, well, this is the reasons why you should be happy, like literally everyone else, he stands up for her and he's like, hey, she needs to go home. And then when Mr. Sesame, who is like, oh, well, we'll get her better here and then send her home. We don't want to send her home in her current condition. He's like, no, you have to do this. And he like, even though they're good friends, he just stands his ground and is such an admirable hero, basically. <laughs> I also really love his friendship with um, Uncle. Yes, I agree. Um, okay, so Peter is <laughs> so funny. I love him so much. He like lacks personality, but in a way in which like it is his personality. Mm-hmm. Yes. It, he's never someone that I would have like as a close friend. I don't think you can be close friends with Peter. <laughs> but, you know... He does his job every day. He takes the goats up to the mountain. And even though he insists on that he can't read, at least, you know, he's consistent. <laughs> I just love Peter as, like, he's, he's one of the elements that makes the book um, funny, which makes it much better. Along with, like, Sebastian and John staying up to find the ghost um that's probably like my favorite funny part of the book but other than that all my favorite parts are peter like when he thinks harris essiman is the constable from frankfurt who's going to take him away and when he just gets really mad at the doctor for taking heidi away from him and so he like pantomimes all these horrible things he's going <laughs> to do the doctor and then the doctor gives him his meal and Peter never gets enough to eat, so he's so happy about it and feels so bad. Do you want me to read it? Because I thought it was so funny. Yes. Okay. Yes. Um, okay, okay, hold on. I underlined it. Let me find it really quick. He was just taking hold of it, being that it being the food, when he remembered how angrily he had shaken his fists at the doctor, for whom this treat had really been provided. He, self, he felt sorry about that, and it somehow held him back. So after a moment, he jumped up and ran over to the place where he had stood before, stretched up his arms with hands open to show that he did not want to fight anymore, anymore. Anyone anymore. Gosh, I'm so tired. And he kept them like that until he felt he had made amends. Then back he went to his feast and began to eat with a clear conscience. <laughs> yes. So Grandmama was my favorite character. She is, like, the most wise and sweet lady, and you can see, like, She's a solid Christian who has a good perception of God and, like, helps Heidi very much with learning about God and praying and all that. Um, and wherever she goes, she makes everyone happy, except Rottenmeier. Because <laughs> Rottenmeier wants to rule the roost. And she's not controlling. Uh, Grandmama, that is. Rottenmeier is very controlling. <laughs> Grandmama is not controlling, but she is, like, insistent about the truth and um and and helping people and all that it's just it's the perfect balance honestly and i love love the part where she's talking to heidi when she could see heidi's like going through some sort of depression and then heidi feels like she can't tell grandmama about the fact that she's homesick because she'll sound ungrateful because that's what rottenmeyer said to her so when grandmama was like so what is it um heidi was like well i can't tell anyone and she was like well when we have things that are bothering us that we can't tell anyone about we can always tell god and i love the fact that grandmama doesn't even try to force it out of her even though she's 
trying to do good and she is on Heidi's side. Well, did you did you talk about Heidi? Oh my gosh, we didn't talk about Heidi. Heidi's a good character. The end. Heidi is very wholesome, sweet, good. Uh, just all the positive out adjectives out there apply to her. The end. Yep, pretty much. Do you think that Heidi was a little bit too, like, simple? And that she was so good and then that's the end? Because I don't, but I want to hear your opinion. It's a good question. Because I can't really think of, like, anything really wrong with her. Um... Or, like, and she's so straightforward. She just takes everything at face value. Which is a very childlike thing to do, is be super literal. But, like, I don't know. She she seems real to me. And I don't know what, like, wherein the difference consists when a character seems unrealistically perfect or unrealistically simple. And when a character is kind of perfect or kind of simple, but yet they seem realistic. I don't know why Heidi works, but I think she does. Yeah. It is almost magical how, like, because there's the good guy trope where it's like there's that character who's just the good person and they don't do anything wrong and then they feel fake because of it. Um, and for some reason, Heidi doesn't feel that way. I mean, part of it is Spyri, like, depicts her weakness very well, um, like her fears and her childlike qualities all of which aren't necessarily negative traits, but they are very human. So that helps, I suppose. Yeah. Did you think it was funny how Fraulein Rottenmeier um, was like, oh, Heidi, I can't pronounce that. We have to call you Adelaide. Like, as a little kid, I was always like, what? Ad like, especially reading it, I wasn't <laughs> even completely sure how to pronounce Adelaide, but Heidi was super easy to pronounce, and it was, like, so backward. Yeah, because <laughs> Rottenmeier was so concerned with everything being so proper. Yeah, but, like, how is Adelaide easier to pronounce than Heidi? It's not. <laughs> Rottenmeier just didn't want to stoop to the level in which she would pronounce such a peasant-like name. I see. Heidi's a beautiful name. I love the name Heidi. So I think Heidi's journey is a good example of how one both chooses happiness, like happiness is something you can choose, but also there are external circumstances that do very much have an impact on one's happiness. Like you have to have a balanced life to an extent. Um, and so you can see Heidi is consistently making the choice to be happy. Like when she goes with Uncle Alp, she chooses to focus on the beautiful mountains. And even though her bed is made of straw, she loves like the fact that her bed is unique and it's not like any other bed she slept in and she loves the squishiness of it and even though there's a crack in her wall which most people would look at and be like wow this house is not well constructed and also there's holes in the wall like she loves the <laughs> hole because she can stare out at the stars at night and it's like everything is so wonderful to her because she chooses to perceive it that way um and part of that is the fact that she is a child and that it hasn't occurred to her to think any other way but i think humans can I mean, humans. I think adults can be just the same way if they actually put some effort into it. But oh, I absolutely believe ha happiness is a choice. Like, it's not always... I guess it's kind of like there's a spectrum of happiness available to you, and the center of that spectrum shifts depending on your circumstances, but you can always choose to go to the high end of that spectrum. It takes mental discipline. Well, and actually, I think 
it's largely due to the fact that she doesn't go into life with all these expectations. Like people, and I talk about this with success, there's this standard um, definition of what people consider success to be, right? So like you get a significant other, you get a career, um, you make a lot of money, like all these different things of what people define success as. Now, in order to have a balanced lifestyle, yes, you need to have stuff like money. You need to have a family of some sort or a community that will stand in for a family of sorts. Like you need things to have balance in your life. But at the same time, if you don't go into life with all these preconceived notions and all these expectations that most people have, like life can be kind of anything you make of it, honestly. It can be very surprising. I feel like most people aren't surprised by life. But Heidi is continually surprised by life. Yeah, that's a good point. Because and actually, um, another thing I was wondering about, and I've asked myself this question a lot for the past year or so, is do people even, like, want to be happy? Because, like, truly miserable people, I mean. And there are a lot. Because people, like, they think they want to be happy, but it's, like, in a situation where you could choose to be happy... And a lot of people would make that choice. I, I feel like people find comfort in their misery and they feel like if they are sad, like, like Rotten Meyer is a good example of this. It's just she's so consistently isn't happy that it's like she doesn't know how to be any different. And it's like she doesn't even go out of her way to see if she can be any different. Yeah, <laughs> this is a little different, but like being sad is more romantic. <laughs> Yes, yes. So, like... I agree. Yeah, it's it's kind of just almost mundane to be happy, and so depending on your mindset, you might prefer to be sad, which is super not healthy, I think. Yeah. I, and I think that as, like, a child who <laughs> not was sad, I was always a happy child, but, like, Definitely had that romantic impulse, like, and wanted my life to be more romantic. And if I'd had something to be truly sad about, I might very well have. Let it over absorb you? Yeah, I kind of wallowed in it because of how romantic it all was. To have a sorrow. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, I do know what you mean. It's so I think there's that impulse in people. And I think people just default to sadness, unfortunately. That just seems to be the human condition. Like, our brains are trained to look at the problem. But in order to be happy, you have to put effort into being happy. You have to, like, monitor your thoughts to some degree. Consistently make that choice to a fact, to the point that it becomes a habit. Um, and so if people just kind of want comfort and a low-effort life, they're going to default to, I don't want to say sadness, or misery, particularly, but I guess unhappiness is a good way to put it. Discontentment? Discontentment, unhappiness, yeah. And then as far as suffering, and this is why I love Grandmama so much, is she had such a good perspective. And it's such a simple thing to say, but God really does care about our struggles and he does want to help us. And I think as Christians, it's like, once you get to a certain point, you just kind of forget, oh yeah, God like will help me. Like, it's almost like Christians tend to get to a certain point in their journey where they're just like oh 
he might help me, but I really need to be prepared with the potential of him not helping me. And therefore, what should I do to prepare myself for this? And it's like they kind of lose faith and they don't even know it because they just like feel like they need to. Do you know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. Where's... They like trust God, but buy life insurance, as it were. Yes, yes. <laughs> Whereas grandmama is like, no, like God will help you. Just pray to him. And it might not happen immediately. But if it doesn't happen immediately, that's just because he has something better in mind for you. Oh, yes, Holly. Like, it's it's a very simple concept. But it was so profound to me as a tiny child. Like, this book was what made me understand that, like, God does listen to you. And he does answer you. Sometimes his answer is yes. Sometimes his answer is no. Sometimes his answer is wait. But he does listen to you. Like, I don't, I don't think if someone had, like, explained that concept logically to me, it would have really sunk in the way it did from reading this book. But mm. literally from being read this book as a child, I have always had that mindset. And I just, I think it's a good mindset to have. Yeah. Yeah. And it is interesting to see how, like, Heidi, even though she is a very naturally happy child, and even when she's, like, miserable and isn't eating and losing weight and is super pale and doesn't have energy and just cries all night, like, even when she's going through that, she's still looking at the good in her life, but it's like she's lost the passion and, like, the ability to really gain joy from that because the depression is so bad. So that's why it's, like, so sad. But... It also goes to show, like, yes, misery is a thing that every human is going to face, but it will only be a season. It's not going to be your whole life. Yeah. It it never feels like... Nothing ever... Nothing that's bad ever feels like it's going to be temporary. That's like, true. Like, it's always very all-encompassing. Yeah, yeah. No, I... And Claire is a really good example of that with her not being able to walk. And then everyone just thinks that, like, oh, she's never going to get better. But then she did. <laughs> yeah. Favorite quotes? Yeah. Um, yeah, say yours first. <laughs> While you find yours. <laughs> <laughs> okay. As Clara and Heidi lay in bed that night, looking at the stars, Heidi said suddenly, I've been thinking, isn't it a good thing God doesn't always give us just what we're asking for, even though we pray ever so hard? Of course, it's because he knows something else will be better for us. What makes you say that now? asked Clara. When I was in Frankfurt, I prayed so hard to be allowed to go home at once, but God didn't let me, and I thought he had forgotten me. But if I had gone home then, you would never have come here and got well. Clara considered this, and then she said, But in that case, perhaps we ought not to pray for anything, because God knows, as we don't, what is best for us. I don't think that's quite right either, Heidi replied quickly. We ought to pray to him every day to show our trust and that we know that everything comes from God. If we forget him, then sometimes he lets us go our own way, and then things go very wrong with us. Your grandmama told me that, and everything turned out as she said it would. When later Heidi was sitting on her high stool before her milk bowl, with her grandfather beside her, she repeated her question. Why does the great bird go on croaking and screaming down at us, grandfather? He is mocking at the people who live down below in the villages, because they all go huddling and gossiping together, and encourage one another in evil talking and deeds. He calls out, If you would separate, and each go your own way, and come up here, and live on a height as I do, it would be better for you. There was almost a wildness in the old man's voice as he spoke, 
so that Heidi seemed to hear the croaking of the bird again even more distinctly. Hmm. Yes, mine is not as profound and Christian as yours, but, like, I like it. No, I wasn't saying... I think yours is just as good. Well, actually, no, I do think mine is slightly better, but I do like yours a lot. (laughs) Thank you for listening to the 10th episode of the Two Retired Homeschoolers podcast. Please join us again two weeks from now when we review Tucker by Louis L'Amour. And stay tuned for bloopers. Okay, um, do you want to move on to happiness versus suffering? I mean, we better. <laughs> we might have to re-record <laughs> this tomorrow, I don't know. Okay, um, so happiness versus suffering. What about it? Don't you think that Heidi was such a happy character? <laughs> think she was a happy character and then she suffered isn't it so sad how she went through suffering it was so sad it was like the opposite of happy (laughs) okay um so Heidi okay Heidi is a great example of happiness because she's just so happy (laughs) 